Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. John 1, we are beginning our Advent series today. And during Advent, uh, we are going to look at what I think is a magnificent doctrine. Um, I'm trying not to say, again, it's one of my favorites, but uh, it, it really is. Um, that's the Incarnation. And we're going to look at it uh, today in terms of uh, how it informs us about our, our view of God, and then next week look at what it means to our salvation. The following week, look at what it means with human suffering. And then uh, the last week, we will uh, look at the incarnation in the world. We'll revisit our verse of the year. Let your light shine before others. And uh, so we, what we're looking at is really uh, the application of the incarnation. Now look, I understand that some of you are going through times of trial. And when you come to church and you hear, we're going to look at a doctrine today, the immediate reaction may be, well, I don't need doctrine. I need something that is going to apply to me, that's going to put what I'm going through into some kind of a perspective. I understand that. But I hope you'll hang in there and see how very practical this doctrine is for us. Here's the problem. Instead of believing the God of the Bible as He reveals Himself and taking that as who God is, the temptation is for people to make God in the image they want or that they have heard or maybe they've been taught. Let me give you some examples. Some people look at God as the bad Santa Claus. You better watch out. You better not pout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. He's getting more threatening. Do you get that? So be good for goodness sake. And I remember as a, as a little boy going, whoa, he's, you know, that, that's pretty scary. And some people, some people look at God in that way that, of course, he sees everything that's going on and, and so on. So you better be good. You better be doing more good than bad, for goodness sake. Because otherwise, it'll be worse than just getting coal in your stocking. You're going to be in real trouble. That's the view of God to some people. Some people 
see him as what I would call the from a distance God. Some of you remember that that old song from a distance and it was always sung very piously and so on. And and what what was said is God is watching you from a distance. And I think the implied thing is from a safe distance. <laughs> it's okay. He's he's far enough away. And that not only comforts some people, but it also in some people's mind gets God off the hook for anything that goes on in this world that they don't really like. They can say, well, you know, that's not that's not God's fault. He doesn't want it to be this way and and so on. So that's the from a distance God that's just not involved with what's going on here. Some some see God as what I would call the Downton Abbey staff God. Now, if you watch Downton Abbey, and of course you did, many of you, uh, you know it was about uh, this, this wealthy British family, and it wasn't upstairs, downstairs, but it was kind of that where you saw the drama and trauma in the family, and then also with the servants. But those servants, no matter what was going on down in that kitchen or their, you know, wherever they were, once the family called, you know, they rang the bell or, or whatever it was, boom. They put on the face, they went and they served and they did it well. And some people think of God in that way. He's, he's you know, I don't think much about him, but, you know, when I ring the bell, boom, he'll be there and he'll take care of things because that's what God ought to be doing. The Downton Abbey God. And then some see God as what I would call the anti-Satan. In other words, you've got Satan, who's the real bad guy over here. You've got God, who's the real good one over here. And they are our equal forces fighting against one another. And hopefully, and we, we believe that, that the good force will eventually win. But in the, in the meantime, you know, the, the, he may win some of these battles and, and uh, overcome God at times. And some see him in that way. Now, I'm going to read to you from John 1. And for some of you, you've never heard this before. Because you're, you're new. You, maybe you don't have a Bible. That's, that's fine. I'm glad you're here. And, and some of you aren't that familiar with this passage. Some of you have heard it a few times. And some of you have heard it and read it many times. To that last group. I want you to uh, kind of... Uh, flush your mind for a moment and try to listen to this passage. You know, sometimes we can get used to, uh, to some pretty magnificent things. I want you to try to listen to this passage as if you have never heard it before. In John 1, it says this. In the beginning 
was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who are born not of the blood, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father full of grace and truth. This is the Word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Amazing words that you saw fit to preserve for us, to teach us about the living word. Will you today give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are open? And ready to be amazed by the truth of this. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, we're going to answer the questions in terms of how this informs us about God. And and today we're going to look at that that basic doctrine that we'll, we'll do some application today, but especially in uh, future weeks. First of all, the, the who. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, later in this passage, it becomes apparent that 
the Word, the one that's called the Word here, is Jesus Christ. We see that right in this passage. He's, he's called that first, and then it's revealed who he is, equating him with being God. Now, Paul in Philippians makes it apparent as well. And in Philippians 2, we're going to look at some verses there. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 6 says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It's saying that, you know, here is, here is deity. Here is God. And here is Jesus. And there's an equal sign between those two. That's how it is. That's who he is. Now, sometimes we have this uh, vague impression that you got kind of a, 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 a God pecking order. You know, you got your, you got your father and he's the big guy. And then you got Jesus, who's the son and uh, he's, he's big, but he's not as big as the father. And then you got the spirit that is number three. And, you know, there, there's some truth in terms of understanding it that way. But before you ever look at it as, you know, the big guy, you know, one, two, and three, you got to understand the nature of the Trinity. Let's do some theology here for a minute. Here's, here's what, what it is. In terms of their being, in terms of their essence, uh, all three are exactly the same. That's it. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. What that means is everything that it is to be God, the Father is. Everything that it means to be God, the Son is. And everything it means to be God, the Holy Spirit is. They are exactly equal in terms of their actual being. But there's another way to understand them. How He's revealed Himself. And that is what we might call the functional or economic trinity. Don't worry about those terms. That's where we get the, the idea. And that is how they function with one another. What their roles are. And there you have the Father and you have the Son who does the bidding of the Father. And you have the Spirit who seeks to bring glory to the Son. And that's where I think we have that conception that it's, you know, boom, boom, boom. It's okay to understand that that's their roles as long as we first understand that they are exactly equal in substance, in power, and in glory. The, the other way, the, the human illustration to this that can help us understand the human illustration, maybe help us understand the Trinity as well, is the role of husband and wife in the Scripture. You have uh, a, a man and a woman, and in terms of 
their essence, they are exactly equal. In terms of their substance, they are equal. In terms of being image bearers of God, they are equal. And yet, they have different roles. And you have the man who's given headship. But that doesn't mean that he is greater in terms of his being. It just means it's a different role. That's how we need to understand that Jesus, who was eternal. See, we've got to understand all this before we we think about the incarnation because it shows us how long of a trip he had to take to become a human, to take on flesh. He wasn't invented or created when he came to earth and then somehow promoted to deity or anything like that. He was from eternity to eternity, no beginning or end. And so think in terms of what kind of humility does that take to be the God of the universe and become a human being? One more reminder where he was. Verse 2 of John 1. He was in the beginning with God. Philippians 2. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was in the position of the, as creator of the universe. Um, verse 3 of John 1. All things were made through him. We usually think in terms of the, the Father as being the creator. But this makes it clear. All things were made through him, Jesus. Without him not, was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1 verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now, why is that important? Scientists, I read this week, I'm, I'm not a scientist. They estimate that there are 10 billion trillion stars in the known universe. Did you hear that? 10 billion Trillion. That's a 10 followed by 15 zero. Whoa, that's, that's amazing. You know, once in a while I will uh, make the mistake of looking online at our debt, you know, the United States debt. And, you know, it's just, it's just going like this. And I have to turn it off. I can't even look at it. Because that number is, it blows my mind. This number makes that look like nothing. Ten billion trillion stars in the known universe. By him are all things made. We're about to see that the creator, the star maker, became part of his creation. Look at what he did. John 1, verse uh, 14. It says, And the Word became flesh. This is, this is a description of uh, the act of the incarnation. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Incarnation means in the flesh, the English word. We have the word carnage and the word carne. I hate to do this. It's not appetizing. Chili con carne. But you'll remember it. Chili with flesh. See, I told you it wasn't appetizing, but you'll remember. Okay? That's, that's what he took on. In the flesh. Philippians 2.7. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Until we grasp how different God is than man, we haven't grasped how awesome of a truth the incarnation really is. We sang earlier these wonderful words by Gideon Townsend. Hands that set each star in place, shape the earth in darkness, cling now to a mother's breast, vulnerable and helpless. That's it. That's the incarnation. Wesley, veiled in flesh, veiled in flesh, the Godhead. See? Hail the incarnate deity. That's what happened. The Creator becoming the form of His creation. The Eternal One being conceived, being a fetus, being born. The Infinite becoming finite. The Omniscient and Omnipotent One taking on a form where he had, to, he had to be potty trained. That's reality. He had to learn to walk, to add, subtract, to do the, the skills of a carpenter. God feeling the feelings of a human, the king of the universe being born in a stable. Those are what constitute the longest journey at Christmas. Last week, November uh, 22nd, was the 50th anniversary of a death. If you were alive, you remember where you were when who died? C.S. Lewis. Yes. C.S. Lewis died that same day. Here is how he described the Incarnation. He said, one may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a, a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through the increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay and then back up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting until suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping precious thing he went down to recover, 
that dripping precious thing is you and I. And Advent is when we celebrate his coming down to us. That's how he described it. Why did he come? Well, he came to show us the nature of God. Verse 14, the last part of the verse, (coughs) says, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 1, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God. Origen, who was a third century uh, church father, he told of a village that had this huge statue in it. It was so big that uh, people couldn't even really picture who the statue was to be an image of until someone shrunk it down, as it were, and carved a small version of that huge statue. Then they could see it. They could see the details and they could understand uh, it better. And he says this. That's what God did with his son. Paul tells us that Christ is the self-miniaturization of God. The visible icon or image of the invisible God. So in In Christ, we have God in a comprehensible way. And then he brought salvation. We're going to spend uh, more time on this next week. But this this is what it says in John 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you see how far away from the bad Santa he is? What a warped view of God that would be. That the God of the universe became man to bring salvation. Not to follow you around and, and, and zap you when you do wrong. But to bring salvation. And there's one final aspect for today. Because of the incarnation. We know he comprehends us. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. And yet without sin. Well, we cut our Christmas tree yesterday. It's what we uh, enjoy doing. It's a family tradition. Our kids grew up doing that. And when we first started doing it a number of years ago, uh, the church I was serving always looked forward to the Sunday after that because there was uh, virtually every year some story of tragedy that, that had happened when we, uh, you know, when we cut the tree. There was the year that... Uh, we, we got the tree, and I got it home, and I went to trim uh, some of the bottom branches, and, and I cut one, and fully one-third of the tree fell off. 
That was the year we started putting our tree in the corner. And then uh, the, the year when uh, I, we got the tree and it looked beautiful and I, I cut it and got it home. And when I went to put it in the stand, we could not get it to stand up straight. And then we looked in and realized how crooked the trunk was. Finally, I tacked string to the ceiling to hold the tree upright uh, through. So, you know, above the angel and everything was a string going to the, the ceiling. And, and we had plenty of those stories. But, you know, over the years, uh, we've, I, I try not to make the same mistake twice. And we have done it for so many years. And so here's, here's what we do now. We see the tree from a distance, as it were. And we want it to look good from a distance. But then we get up close to it and look down underneath, make sure the the trunk is somewhat straight. And then I look inside to make sure that, uh, you know, it's, it's straight in there. And sometimes it is just, it's totally twisted, but, uh, but still upright. In one sense, that's what God did with us. He didn't just look from the outside from a distance and, and leave it at that. He came among us. He got down on the ground and dirty to really see what we were like. To know us, not just outside, but inside. He gets us. And He still loves us. And that's where the doctrine of the Incarnation applies. A right view of God of the Incarnation will make all the difference in your worship, in your prayer, and in your walk of faith. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that though you could have just stayed on the throne and watched or controlled from a distance. You came down among us and got dirty like us. And that gives us confidence that you really get it. You get us. And thank you that even though that's the case, you loved us and provided for our salvation. We give you all glory in Jesus' name.